Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me and tell me how bad my t- takes are on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine is Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram, Aaron underscore Dugan. Dukes, good to see you as usual. Um, Brody Miller from The Athletic is going to give us an LSU State of the Union. I know you're utterly fascinated with the LSU. I am utterly fascinated with LSU. We're going to have an LSU conversation a little bit later on after we hear from Brody. What exactly are the Tigers going to be this year? What is LSU going to be this year? Uh, I find them to be completely fascinating. Phrases like this, Aaron, will come up on the pod. The most complete offense in the SEC. How about that? That phrase will come up on the pod. So lots of fun LSU stuff today on the show. Yep. However, another, another fascinating news. Um, fascinating, maybe not the right word, definitely not surprising. People, once again, specifically South Carolina <laughs> fans, hate Braden. Yeah, I stepped in it again. Um, You're doing this on purpose. You have to be. I see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We're gonna we're also gonna touch on the huge. Now you're gonna piss them off more because you're gonna be like, I'm not doing it on purpose. They're just not that good. And then they're gonna they probably don't listen anymore. It probably doesn't matter. I didn't say those words. You just said those words, Aaron Dugan. Um at the Aaron Dugan, Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram. Uh I Listen, I will also we'll touch on the the spring game ideas from Hugh Freeze, Trent Dilfer, Nick Saban, John Summerall, all those guys uh, with some ideas. I want to get your thoughts on that. We've kind of talked about it. Uh, it's been talked about for a, for a, for a, for a couple of weeks now in college football and SEC circles, but you and I have not really gotten to it. Um, but I am I I am uh, uh, what is this called brandishing? Is that right? I'm brandishing the South Carolina helmet. Oh. Uh, I've got my South Carolina Gamecocks helmet. My my Homer helmet here on the YouTube screen. Uh, for those of you watching on YouTube, we do appreciate you subscribe, rate, review, share the product, all that great stuff. But I, I'm going to do the entire show with the South Carolina Gamecocks helmet right here on the screen for everyone to look at. Because I like South Carolina. I like the state. I like the university. I like the game day atmosphere. I like the coach. I like the stadium. I, it's, You're I, gaslight. This is modern day gaslighting right here. No. Braden is... I did, Braden is in an abusive emotional relationship with South Carolina. <laughs> He's gaslighting the out of them. All right. So we're working on our rankings. Part of this comes from Twitter, which is stupid. But uh, so Stephen Lassen and I at Athlon Sports are working on the Athlon Sports preseason rankings right now. And we've had a lot of discussions, emails. We've debated a lot of things about the SEC. When we finalize those rankings, we'll have an episode on this show where, Aaron, you can like ask us questions about how we have teams ranked and why we have this team over that team. And we'll sort of settle on that, which is very difficult, by the way, Mm -hmm. uh, for 2023, because it's completely wide open, basically after the top two or three. We'll get to LSU today. And it's just wide open. And you can make a very like logical and, and coherent case for almost every team. And so the FPI, which is ESPN's like power index... Which I, which is just an, it's just an index. It's not a, you know, it's not a, it's not the AP poll. It's not the Athlon Sports poll. But this is what happens around this time, end of April, end of spring practice. We're entering a portal period, and then we're going to enter the May evaluation, and then it's going to be magazine season, right? So this mm-hmm. is this is when we start formulating our preseason rankings. And um, uh, Cole Kubelik, friend of the pod, posted the ESPN FPI rankings on Twitter. And Peter Burns, friend of the pod, was like, what? No South Carolina? No Tennessee? Well, Tennessee's 12 on the list. Um, Here are the SEC teams ranked in the ESPN's FPI. Number two, Alabama. Number three, Georgia. That alone, I thought, was a bigger omission than South Carolina. Number four, LSU. Uh, It's got number 12, Tennessee. 
It's got number 16, Ole Miss, number 18, Florida, WTF, number 19, Texas A&M. Uh, it's got Kentucky at 28, Arkansas at 30. And then referencing, since we've been talking about Texas and Oklahoma, Texas is at five, Oklahoma's at 11. Yeah, so a ton of teams, like eight or nine teams in the SEC currently in the FPI preseason top 30. And and basically people were like, what? No South Carolina? And my response is South Carolina is not going to be a preseason top 25 team. Not in the FPI. You not couldn't in have just sat that one out. Okay, not, that's fine. Not in the maybe, but that's not what Twitter's for, Aaron. Not in Athlon Sports Top 25, not in the eight. I bet you it's I'm willing to bet you the AP poll does not have South Carolina in the top 25. I don't think they're gonna have Kentucky or Arkansas in the top 25 either. And that's all my point was on Twitter. And of course, South Carolina fans came at me. So again, I'm 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 sporting my South Carolina Gamecocks helmet on the show for the entire show today, just to show how much I appreciate your sh- your your product. Uh, your your team and your your coach and your city and your culture. I love everything about it. No negatives. But I just don't think you're better than eight and four. And if you listen to our South Carolina State of the Union from a couple of weeks ago, Ben Portnoy said if they win nine or ten games, it would be an incredible surprise. I think even the most homerish of homers are not picking ten wins for South Carolina. And an eight and four South Carolina football team, just like Missouri, Arkansas, Ole Miss, Kentucky, I think all these teams. Eight and four might make you a top 25 team at the end of the year. Maybe it's not, but I don't think it's a negative to call South Carolina eight and four or a negative to Shane Beamer. I don't think it's a negative to Sam Pittman in Arkansas or Lane Kiffin in Ole Miss or Mark Stoops in Kentucky or Eli Drinkwitz in Missouri. If any of those teams are eight and four, Aaron, I don't think that's an insult. I just don't, I, I don't, I don't say that with a negative connotation. I think those would be really good seasons for all of those teams. Is there anything about this that that did surprise you? Like the placement of Ole Miss, uh, Florida, or Texas A&M, those ones that were grazing, like yeah. barely made it in? I, I think this FPI thing is a, it's a little bit more mathematical than like what we do at Athlon. Yes. The fact that Georgia is number three, I think, is pretty stupid. Like that's stupid. It takes like an important subjectivity out of it, which is probably like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is like a human element that helps you get close, like to have like a little walking encyclopedia like you have in Stephen Lassen. I'm not saying you don't know your shit, too, but like <laughs> he just is the the best combo of a human and an encyclopedia. But FPI is a uh, it is an algorithm that we don't even know. Right. Right. And 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 to your point about you couldn't just sit this one out. Like what I should have said was South Carolina is not a preseason top 25 team. But neither is Florida. What the hell are they doing at eighteen? You know what I mean? Like I don't. I think Florida being at number eighteen is 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 sort of silly. I think that's. I don't think there's a lot of uh, ground to stand on. But again, we're talking about an algorithm that we don't know the the recipe right. for. I will say that if you look at this list of thirty teams by ESPN, and you and I've I've obviously been working on the Athlon Sports list. I don't think it's incredibly different. I think we have a lot of similar opinions. I think the FPI is much lower on the Pac-12, for example, than I would be. I think the Pac-12 teams are ranked too low. But again, I think Georgia's probably going to be preseason number one in the AP poll, Athlon Sports, and a variety of other places. Um, right. So I don't, like, I just don't, it's not It's not worth getting upset about. I just, people getting, people were like, what? No South Carolina? And I'm like, guys, South Carolina's not going to be a preseason top 25 team. Their schedule is maybe the hardest schedule in the entire conference. Like, I just, mm-hmm. like, again, Offensive line questions. I love their skill playmakers. 
I like Shane Beamer. Spencer Rattler has to show that he's consistent for the whole season. This has nothing to do with South Carolina. I would say all this same stuff about Lane Kiffin, about Arkansas's defense, about Tennessee replacing Hendon Hooker, like Kentucky's offensive line. Like this, it's all the same stuff for all these teams. You know, like yeah. quarter, quarterback play for Missouri is a question mark. Like everybody has question marks. It's okay. I I do think it has a lot to do, a lot more to do with the accumulative. Uh, numbers in terms of stat returning productivity actual like yard like those numbers rather than the gelling together of a program so it is measuring all those individual factors without actually measuring like oh you have this many like you have this much in terms of stats or returning productivity on the offensive line but you know, are you missing that key person on your offensive line that held everything together last year? Like maybe. So it is leaving out some stuff. But I, I do think that the jump between like a Florida at 18 and an Arkansas at 30 is doesn't feel right to me. Um they they both if Florida goes eight and four, they will be ecstatic. If Arkansas go, goes eight and four, they should be happy. If South Carolina goes eight and four, they should be happy. Uh, you know, it's not an it's not an extraordinary season like Tennessee did last year, but it's not a terrible one or a bad one. It's actually probably a pretty good one. I, that's all my point is, is that there's just like in April. Why are why are people on Twitter getting so worked up? I guess that's my uh, I should I should I should just uh, <laughs> I should embrace it, considering we're about to put out a preseason magazine that we would like you to pay money for. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Also, I have a question and you may not know the answer to this, but you very well may. Do they does the FBI take into account the statistics for guys that are unlikely to play i this is what like i'd have to ask Connolly. uh we could get him on and talk about it because he's a big part of the fbi but it's 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 largely a you know i think it's the football power index right um it's kind of based on all factors and again i know Connolly's a big part of the returning production metric which is a big part of espn and south carolina for example south carolina 10 returning starters on offense 102nd nationally 11th in the SEC in percentage of production returning on offense, 102nd outside of the top 100. They are 113th in returning production on defense, 12th in the SEC. So not even top 10 in returning production on either side of the ball. And you can disagree with that. They could overachieve that. There's no question. But that's Bill Connolly's returning starter metric, which we did an entire episode on a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And that metric is a part of the football power index, the FPI. So if if returning production is a huge part of this ranking, the fact that they're not returning very much production is going to affect where they're ranked in this. So I I don't know I don't, I'm not even sure what we're doing here. <laughs> Me either. I would just say this this doesn't really matter. Don't freak out. But yeah. you can freak out on Braden if you want to because that's Look, entertaining for all of us. I got my I got my Go Cox helmet right here on the screen. The entire show today. So if you're a fan of another team, I'm sorry. I'm repping South Carolina. He's not even flying the flag the right direction. He's just hung it however he can get it to well, stay I on his mic. Yeah, Continuing really the it. disrespect even further. It's not disrespectful. It won't fit on my head because it's a mini helmet. And it won't. I can't go over the, the microphone because if I do, then I'm just talking right through the ear hole the entire time while the helmet's here covering my face and nobody wants to hear this. Maybe just like but leave just, them alone. Just, just like hang, no attention might be better than what you're giving them. You know? But I, but I like their team. I just don't think it's Gaslighter. Gaslighter. <laughs> I'm astroturfing. It's different. Okay. Um, all right. So quickly here, Hugh Freeze, Trent Dilfer, two guys that you don't normally want to be associated with. Um, they both have suggested Hugh Freeze floats this idea because I was I was looking at like 
people reacting to Tennessee spring game this week. And of course, Gaston Moore, walk-on quarterback, throws a multiple touchdowns and has an extraordinary game. Nobody's talking. Nico Iamaleava does not play as well as the fourth string walk-on. It's because it's a freaking spring game. It doesn't matter. So I'm reading all this reaction that doesn't matter. And I'm listening to Hugh Freeze, who is that's probably my first mistake. But I'm well, listening, I'm listening to Hugh yeah. Freeze. And it's a Hugh Freeze problem. Hugh Freeze is like, look. I think we should play in-state teams scrimmage at the end of spring practice to make it a little bit more interesting. Maybe we do home and homes. Maybe it's for charity. Maybe it's with G5 schools. Maybe it's with FCS schools. I would love to see it with HBCU schools. I think that would be awesome. Uh, there's there's lots of like there's space for creative ideas on how to spruce up spring scrimmages. I have watched NFL. I've been at Titans camp for 10 years now, and I see them practice with other teams in, in the NFL. And all the quarterbacks wear red jerseys. They never get hit on either team. They're always fine. Nobody gets hurt. So you could protect the quarterbacks in this. You could open up the gates and 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 sell stuff and then donate money to charity. You could bring in more fans. You allow your team to hit some other team for a couple of quarters. I, I just think Hugh Freeze agreed with it. And then all of a sudden, Nick Saban's like, yeah, sounds like a pretty good idea. Trent Dilfer's like, pretty, 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 please. John Summerall Troy's like, okay. I think there are plenty of hurdles logistically to get this done, but anything to make a more interesting Saturday in April with college football scrimmages, I'm all for it. So I can't believe I'm agreeing with Hugh freeze here, but there you go. I am as long as like you're saying that there is some limitations in contact for a game that really has no stake. And there is just, for a quarterback, just, just a practice talking about yeah. practice. We're talking about practice. not, not, not a game. Practice. Practice. I, I don't know. I think there's a way to make it fun for fans, for yeah. kids, for coaches, for players, and because it's money not for high charity. contact. It's not high contact. You're talking about the offense playing the defense of your own school. So if you run it kind of like that, like a glorified practice, make sure that people stay healthy. I just it's it's hard for me to watch anybody get hurt, especially when the stakes are low or zero. So, um, but it would it would be much more of an event, and it would get fans excited earlier, and it would get some of the, you know, those like jitters out for the guys who haven't played in that kind of atmosphere before. So I'm, I like the idea. I would love in your, in your, um, to your point, I think if there's a way to compensate every player for participating in said scrimmage, I think that would be excellent. Um, but I think a lot of young players want to show that they can, they, they deserve a spot in the starting lineup or the two deep or even walk-ons who want to earn scholarships. Like there's lots of upside to playing in a, in just a practice or a scrimmage, not just like, you know, you're, you're all American wide receiver. Who's just trying not to get hurt. Like that guy's not going to play much, right? Like he's not, he's going right. to, he's going to get a couple snaps and then you're going to put him down. I, I I think, I think it's about the young players earning some opportunity. It's about coaches getting some young players, some opportunity. It's about not having to hit the same uniform at the end of 15 practices. Maybe yeah. you can raise some money for charity. Maybe you make it a better TV event. So therefore we're watching and then the TV can invest in it. Oh, well then now I know it'll happen. But do you see what I'm saying? Like, you see, it's not all that crazy. There's a lot of logistical no. stuff. Yes. Like Tennessee and Memphis. I would love to see Tennessee and Memphis play a home oh, and home yeah. every, every year. I mean, sure. You could make it Tennessee, Florida if you wanted to. Yeah. Or, or, or like, I don't know, maybe a big 10 SEC challenge. That could be fun. Right. Right. Like Ohio State Bama in a spring spring. Scrimmage. That would definitely end up getting televised, which means it would happen. And then there would be two preseason games per year because it makes more money. And then here we are again. But that's OK. So I like I, the excitement factor. 
I think the one area, and this would be so rare, I would guess, but it could be something to be concerned with. But maybe it could work both ways. I don't know. Tell me what you think. What happens if Memphis and Tennessee play in a scrimmage and Tennessee has like three glaring holes in the secondary? We'll talk about you in a second, LSU. And Memphis star safety goes out there and has a great scrimmage against Tennessee. You think you think Josh Heupel gives him a call and says, hey, uh, why don't you come play in Knoxville? Because mm. the portal, the portal opens up right after all these games would take place. Yeah, that's an interesting leading question. Yes, it is. Hmm. I, I don't mean, know. That brings a whole different dynamic to the whole thing. But also, Gaston Moore, fourth string quarterback at Tennessee, who has zero percent chance to play, looks all right. All of a sudden, maybe Memphis's coach is like, "I'll give you a chance to compete for a starting job at Memphis. Why don't you come on down to Memphis?" Couldn't it go both ways? Could, could, and I, that's the, I mean, I could get on board if that, I guess if that's the case, I just see there's a lot, there are a lot of resources at these uh, bigger schools who just want to stack their roster. So I feel like that would be worse for the smaller, yep. less uh, gift, uh, uh, blessed schools. There's also some like in-state politics that exist. Um, LSU is pretty good about this. Actually, they do a good job of, and we'll talk about LSU in a second. They do a pretty good job of playing in-state schools pretty frequently, whether it's Louisiana, McNeese State, yep, you know, whatever. Alabama is not, <laughs> famously. Um, Alabama and Auburn have played Troy. You know, head coach John Sumrall, been on the show before, going to be an SEC head coach. Troy has played a grand total of zero football games against Alabama and Auburn all time because <laughs> of politics inside the state. UAB football was almost... It, like given the death sentence because of Alabama people. <laughs> so there's a little bit of in-state politics you might have to work through, right. but again, lots of logistical questions, but I think it's a good idea. I, I, I don't hate it. I think I'm on really board. Don't. I think I'm on board. All right. I want to have like a really thorough conversation about LSU. So we're going to talk with Brody Miller. You're going to get a state of the union from practice from the athletics, Brody Miller, one of the best on the beat in the sec. Then Aaron and I are going to have a more, a, d- a deeper conversation because I think LSU might be th- the most difficult to figure out upside downside of all teams in the entire conference this year. I love this team. I have a lot of questions and we're going to talk about it after the interview. So before we have our conversation, let's let you hear from Brody. This was my LSU state of the union with the athletics Brody Miller. Brody, welcome to the show, man. How are you, sir? I am doing well. Thank you for having me back. Of course, of course. Uh, Listen, this is a very different conversation about LSU football that you and I had at this exact same time last year for a number, a whole host and a number of reasons. I think culture at LSU has always been fascinating to me just because, A, I love the the people in the state of of Louisiana um, and the hollandaise sauce. But I, I think what's what's fascinating is that was such a hot topic last year yeah. around Brian Kelly's arrival. I'm assuming you are asking or being asked a lot less about if Brian Kelly is a fit at LSU. Yes, that's true, actually. I, I think I've heard that in about, uh, about six months, which is very refreshing. Yeah, I mean, I think we talked last year of this episode basically about like that whole topic. And I think you and I were both on the side of like, Listen, I get the question. I understand where it's coming from. It's not nothing. But like Brett, Nick Saban was hired 
to create a culture at LSU 23 years ago, 24 years ago, not to like mold to it or be part of it. He was created. And by the way, that culture he created, LSU basically coasted off that infrastructure for 20 years and worked. And now they needed somebody to rebuild it. And Brian Kelly was there to create a new culture to fix some culture, some issues, quite frankly, with the pre-existing culture at LSU. And I know culture is a thing that means whatever you want it to mean, but in this instance, it's like accountability, it's processes, things that Saban's very good at, just like how this organization was going to be run from top to bottom. And there's a lot of things about last year that are like good and bad, but that he gets an A plus for that. Just being around it, being inside it. Like he changed how that entire program operates in a very short span of time. So now we're at this spring and aside from the expectations and all that we're going to get into, this is now a well-run program that doesn't have those, those like weird rumors you're hearing all the time. And those off the field issues we heard so much before. Yeah. It's almost as if Brian Kelly's a, been a head professional football coach for over a decade at the yeah. highest levels in college football. Um, so, but let's talk. Let's talk roster, though, because uh, you know this time last year he takes what sixteen players in the portal. He's taken yeah. another twelve this year. I think at a place like LSU, and Brian Kelly has said this out loud, you need to do it through recruiting and development because you can yeah. win big that way. But when you take over, portal's great. He goes and gets a bunch of guys this year on defense. A lot of really talented pieces are coming back uh, that were young and developed last year. They also lose a lot, which is again what happens at LSU. So where is the state of the roster, 1-85, to today, leaving spring practice as it was maybe last year? What's the difference right now? Yeah, I think when you look at last year, especially the 16 portal editions and so much of everything they did, it was they need it was a way that's not going to be how it's going to be going forward, where it's you need to re-supplement every part of this roster. And, it, you know when you're going to the portal to get like your third string corner, you know, like that's how bad that roster was. And that's not something they want to do going forward. And, and also it was about like going to the portal to get the right guys to help change the culture. We were just talking about getting that guy who might like a Tremont shorts, for example, which you probably don't even know that name because he was a transfer last year who didn't actually play at all, but he was a good character guy in that O-line room, stuff like that. I think now going forward in this off season, you can see even though 12 still a lot, probably more than they always want to do it's a different approach of like now they're going to the portal to to just bolster something and not having to just patch, patch, patch where it's like, OK, no, they want to improve an edge rusher. OK, you get Ovia Gofu and Braden Swinson or, you know, uh, you, you want to get a little better at linebacker. We'll shoot Omar Spates from Oregon State's available. Do I know they would have gone and got somebody if Spates wasn't available? I don't know if they would have, but it's like Spates is available. Why not go get it? I think that's the real difference. But to your actual question, um, I, I mean, it's a much more experienced roster. But still, you know, some things that are going to be new. Like, once again, it's a whole new cornerback room. Once again, you know, you got a lot of changes at receiver and things like that. But as a whole, the offense brings back, I think, eight or nine starters. The entire five starters are back on the O-line. Quarterback, Jane Daniels, is back. Your best actual receiver in Malik Daniels, is, Malik Neighbors, is back. You know, like, there is a lot of continuity on offense. And the way I look at this roster is almost like, the offense, I think the floor is very, very high because you know what you're getting. I'm not sure what the ceiling is. You know, I don't know how great Jane Daniels can really be. And while the defense, there's a lot more questions. You're really only bringing back probably four, maybe five starters. But the ceiling is massive where you have, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but like Mason Smith and Harold Perkins, like at their best, are two of the four best play like like that like if they are healthy they're two of the four or five best players in college football period there's a lot of pieces where like omar spates might be a superstar and there's also like you have no idea how this cornerback room is going to look you have no idea how 
the new edge rushers are going to be. So there's a little more room for failure on defense and also a chance to be like elite. Um, when you guys do an episode about the the turnover at quarterback and, and coordinator yep. with the stat I'm about to give you when you and Ubbin do this, I want you to give me credit for it. Yeah, please. Um, only, two, only two teams in the SEC return a starting quarterback and a coordinator, uh, Vanderbilt and LSU. And LSU, I guess my question is, do, like, why is Garrett Nussmeyer's name continued to get mentioned? Like, is this actually a quarterback battle or is this lip service because he's a pretty good player? And Jaden Daniels had a couple of moments last year where we where we raised our eyebrows. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I think you framed it correctly where it's like, it's not nothing, but Jaden Daniels is the starting quarterback. Like, that is the reality. That is, that is not a literal battle. And Brian Kelly will be the first to say it's not. Garrett Nussmeyer will be the first to say it's not. But it's also not nothing in the sense that Garrett Nussmeyer is gotten good enough that you can't just like pretend he's not in the mix. Like he is a guy who, quite frankly, like part of me is surprised he's still there because he could have started for he could have gone the portal and started for a lot of very good power five football teams. And I think they did a good job of kind of managing that. And I think you've seen throughout whether it be the SEC title game. Through, uh, whether it be the Purdue Bowl game, the Citrus Bowl, where and Brian Kelly's history also is he's not afraid to rotate guys a little bit. I'm not saying LSU's going to do that, but I do have to keep an eye out that like I wouldn't be shocked if you do see a little bit of Nussmeyer play because he does add something different and he does have this explosive passing ability. And also, I think Kelly has so much history of if a guy's not performing, he is going to do like whatever he has to do. He's not going to just be stubborn and stick with Jane Daniels when you have a team that's actually trying to win a title this year. It's like if he's struggling, he will go to Garrett Nussmeyer. I do believe that. So I think that's where it's at. It's not nothing, but yes, Jane Daniels is the starter. I mean, through the entire year, like Brian Kelly was basically asking him to throw interceptions at one point last year. Like, did that he... was an odd point. Yeah, right after the Tennessee <laughs> game, he was like, I am begging you, just, just take a chance. Just please. And like, do you think that by the end of the year, though? Because I mean, obviously, the athletic ability was always there. He's great yep. in the two minute. He is great when the when the game is sort of pushed into a, a certain situation. But do you think that Brian Kelly and the offensive staff was getting what they wanted out of him at the end of the year? I mean, obviously, I'm not yes. counting the Georgia game. Like, I don't, you know. Yeah, that doesn't count. Yeah. Um, the answer mainly is yes, because I talking to staffers, they will tell you, like, people don't realize how much was going wrong around him, like, that, that we don't realize, like, the missed protections and all this stuff. Like, there was so much that was going wrong in those first 2.67 weeks that he was the one keeping it afloat. So in that extent... Yeah, like he was the one steadying force. He was the guy with, whether it be with his legs, but also with his mind, I think a little more than we give him credit, like was protecting the ball, making stuff happen. But yeah, it got to a point where like things were getting better. And like you, if you want to actually win big games, take chances. And the tricky thing is there was about two or three games, as you alluded to, where he did it, right? Florida game, Ole Miss game, Bama game. He was slinging it a bit and he looked like he was a Heisman candidate for about two weeks-ish. Like he was that guy. But then you saw then you saw teams adjust, drop more guys into coverage. Like Arkansas is the best example, and he kind of regressed back a bit. And, even, and again, his floor is always going to be pretty high, but I'm still unclear. And it's like this question I'd love to ask Brian Kelly. Like honestly, is like, at what point is it year two with the system? You are going to like take a leap because you're comfortable, which. That's real, man. Like, I think you'd agree. Like, that's real of For you sure. transfer that first year, you're learning. And then the second year, you actually know the receivers, all that. How much do you expect that? Or how much is it you're four years in? You have four years of data of what Jane Daniels is. Like, 
that's probably more than the you're going to improve in an offseason, yeah. I would think. So, well, he's always he's always been extremely protective of the football, even as yep. a true freshman back in Arizona State. I will say this though, and I'm curious. I just this kind of just popped into my head because the offensive line was the big question last year. Yeah. But they bring back so many dudes with experience and talent. The receiving core, the running back group is not ever something I truly worry about at LSU. We just mentioned yeah. that they're one of the only teams with a true starting quarterback and coordinator returning. If you look around the league, could you make the case that LSU was the most complete offense in the entire conference from coordinator to co- to quarterback yeah. to to supporting cast? Again, I think my theme here is I like the way you phrase things because completes the exact right term. Like, because I don't know if I'd say best. I'm not sure right. I'd say that. But complete, yeah, I feel pretty confident it's the most complete because there isn't a flaw, really. Maybe you want a little more in a tight end or something like that, but like that's nitpicky. You know you have receivers you really like, especially with the Aaron Anderson acquisition from Alabama, guy who has a lot of talent. But Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas, like, you know... I love sometimes thinking things in like video game ratings terms because I think it's good at contextualizing. Like, (laughs) you know, this offense is like an 87 or an 88 like rating. Like, you know that. I don't know if it can be a 98. I don't know if this is like a national title winning offense, but I think it is the most complete. But I do want to see whether it be Daniels or hypothetically Nussmeyer, you do want to see more aggressiveness in the passing game. And offensive coordinator Mike Denbrock talked about like a lot of that's also on them. Like they're now in year two of kind of learning how to do things here. And and maybe they're going to get a little more scripted and a little more smart about how to build to things and set up things. So we'll see. But yeah, I think it is the most complete. I like that case. I'm not sure it's the best yet. I think that's I, I agree with your phrasing as well. Look at the us, mu- two guys mu- phrasing things well. Yeah. <laughs> the mutual admiration society. Um, on defense, it's fascinating that they're moving yeah. Harold Perkins inside. Now I know Brian Kelly's explanation is is logical, which is that if you put him outside, teams can game plan for him because they know exactly where he's going to be, whether that's the left or the right. Certainly, you're asked to do a lot more at middle linebacker. It is harder to be sort of a disruptive behind the line of scrimmage havoc player from that position but brian kelly certainly bristled at the idea that he wouldn't be involved in rushing the passer in typical brian kelly uh tongue-in-cheek kind of fashion Um, what do you make of the move uh taking perkins arguably the most dynamic freshman pass rusher in the entire country last year he was the on a path to be the next will anderson moving him to a different position in the defense you already mentioned mason smith but just what do you make of the move and what, yeah. what is the goal behind it and, and what can we expect out of Perkins who right now I've, I've had assistant coaches say is, you know, maybe the best football player in America. I think it's fair. Yeah. I, I think the key is remembering like, that's what he was originally supposed to be. He was supposed to always be an inside linebacker. And then what really happened last year was basically like, I mean, very few freshmen are ready to be like a quarterback of a defense. And by week six, they kind of realized like, wait, he's just too talented to not play at all. Let's put him in a position where quite frankly, you know, it's just more simple. Like, Hey, you're outside linebacker. You're QB spying and you're reading reacting and you're just going to be a freak. And that made so much sense. And it got them an FCC West title, but like, that's probably even though those plays are the most impactful, I agree with you. I think I see both sides of, but at the same time, that's only X amount of plays that you're really like involved inside linebacker. You have the most talented player always in the mix and always doing those things. And I have the same question as you is like, is that slightly neutralizing what he does best? I also watched Devin White play at LSU and so many (laughs) other linebackers where you're like, guys, just freak athletes are just going to be near the ball. Like stuff's going to work out. And this part's speculating, but I think the thing I'm most excited about, because I am pretty high on Matt House, the defensive coordinator. He really impressed me last year. You look at that linebacker room where you have basically three starting like true linebackers with 
Greg Penn's back, kind of a traditional stack linebacker. Omar Spates is another the Oregon State transfer, all Pac-12 last year, who is a very another very rangy, speedy, drop into coverage, but also rush in the box kind of linebacker. And Perkins, who you could put pretty much anywhere on the field. I am just very intrigued to see how much creativity goes in. That, like, guys, I don't think any of us think Harold Perkins is just gonna be sitting in the middle every play doing his run fits. Like, I think everyone is probably gonna be moving around a good bit and they're gonna get really creative because you have these guys to your point. Point, like Spates and Perkins, who can both be a front four edge rusher and a defensive back, depending on what you need. I think it's going to be a little more nuanced than we're all saying, but I do have the concern of like, it's possible they're neutralizing it. Yeah. I I don't know. Maybe he's just too good for that. Um, yeah. What's fascinating, quick, quick, uh, Devin White, because we all have Devin White stories if we've covered LSU yeah. at any point. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite stories ever from SEC Media Days telling me, I think he took Christian Fulton out horseback riding. And like Christian Fulton was terrified, yeah. like would not go, like went one time and was like, and of course Fulton plays here in Nashville where I cover the yeah. Titans and Tampa came to practice last year. And Devin, what I love about Devin White is the dude never shuts up during practice, like never shuts never. up. He never got it up in any context. No, really. that's true. Yeah. And he's, yeah. and he's incredibly I mean, interesting. Yeah. 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 He's an incredibly interesting dude. At like one of the Titans backup running backs ran like a little flat route on the goal line drills. And I was standing at the pylon. And like Devin White basically ran the route for him and like knocked the ball away, whatever. And he looks at this poor kid and he's just like, he's like, dude, I do this. I get paid to do this. This is my job. Like I do this for a living. And like nobody had a word to say. And we're all just dying laughing. Like he's he just never shuts up. I love Devin White. Anyway, <laughs> he's a fascinating person. Yeah. Anyway, um, uh, concerns about the secondary. You've already addressed it. Is that their biggest yeah. weakness? Is that the is that the biggest weakness on the roster? Biggest question for sure. I think it's I'm so fascinated by that cornerback situation because it's like last year was the same thing, right? It was all transfers. It was basically relying on five defensive back transfers to just fill all the spots. And they did so much better than I expected. But in hindsight, I look back on that and I see it was all basically, even if they weren't like the most talented dudes, they were all like four-year guys who knew how to play football. So they were able to just kind of like do solid stuff for you know a season and hang in there. This year's the inverse of that. It is a they're bringing in studs corner. I mean, Denver Harris from AM, obviously one of the more talented players. Deuce Chestnut was a freshman All-American at Syracuse. Um, JK Johnson, Ohio State, kind of a rough year, but he's an Ohio State corner. And Zai Alexander from Southeast Louisiana, who we don't know if he's going to be good, but look at his tape. He's actually really interesting. Point being, I see way more talent in these additions than last year. So it's like in some scenarios, you could talk yourself into being like, yeah, it's going to be a huge increase. But I try to remind people, but this is a less experienced group and more question marks, certainly with the Denver Harris and things like that. So it's like there might be more growing pains with this group than last year's. And I think people need to prepare themselves for that. But there's also more upside with it, which is kind of the theme with this defense. Like the talent is stupid, but I don't know how fluid it's all going to be. So I think the schedule is extremely interesting, both on a good and a, and a bad sense. There's a lot of really difficult games, a lot of really difficult road games. They also get the finish to the schedule also sets up nicely with Florida and AM yeah. at home. I, I am curious. Do you believe that this team, as it stands again in April, like let's say Georgia and Bama are preseason top five. Let's just say hypothetically for the sake of conversation, yeah. they're, they're preseason top five. And then you have basically teams four through 12 yeah. <laughs> that are all about seven and five, eight and four, right? Like, yeah. like I, I, you could convince me it's Tennessee. You could convince me it's A&M. You could convince me it's Ole Miss. It's Arkansas. You could convince me it's Kentucky or South Carolina, like on and on and on. Does that, where is LSU fall in your mind right now? Are they closer to that Georgia Bama tier or are they closer to 
sort of a really healthy middle class of the SEC? That's a really good question. Ah, It's tough. I think right now, like in 2023, I have to say closer to the higher tier just because I forgot to phrase this. Like I'm a big probabilities nerd, right? Like I'm a data nerd and I do tend to kind of view things through like sustainability and reliability over, you know, the thing you can do amazing once. And I feel very confident that out of a hundred prop like simulations, you know, like LSU is probably gonna be a top 10 team in like 90 of them. You know, like I feel pretty confident they are going to be good. I feel very confident they're going to win nine, 10 games. The thing I haven't figured, and I feel good about that. So I do think they'll be in a New Year's Six Bowl. I would put money on that. I am in the theme of this talk, right? I am not sure yet if they are good enough to beat Alabama, go 11 and 1, 12 and 0, and make the playoff. And it's like, if they, it's like you'll know right away if that makes sense. Like, (laughs) I think we'll see against Florida State first off. That's might be a top five matchup, quite frankly. Like, we'll see right away if they're good enough. This team's so experienced and has the upside. They could be the, you could argue they could be the best team in the country. Like, that's not insane. I'm not saying that, but like, Georgia's unknown. Alabama's very unknown this year. Like, LSU's more known, known commodity than any of those teams. I'm just not sure of how great they can be. So they're this year, I'd say they're close to the top tier. I just want to see them prove they can actually be like the dudes instead of the the, the underdog. Yeah. Well, and I think there it's it's funny. Like you start talking about statistical probability, and like Brian Kelly eliminates. <laughs> He's a, the he, king of that. Yeah. Well, he and he eliminates, and this is what makes makes Nick Saban special. Is yep. what Saban does is eliminates the outliers. He makes everything consistent. He, he takes exactly. he, best way to put it. Yep. He takes like human being and the human nature and sort of eliminates the the oddities yep. from that. And Brian Kelly, in my mind, Brian Kelly does a lot of that for LSU. But they That's also still did it a couple times last year. So yep. not only do you have to go on the road and beat Bama and and you know beat these teams that, that yeah. beat you last year but you also have to do it without making any mistakes and the yeah. Florida State LSU game is probably i would say it's like number 7 versus number 8 probably yeah sounds about right yeah like in the preseason yeah no it's like if you if you win that you first off whoever wins that game like coming out of it might be like second or third in the poll the next week yeah and then to your point you have a manageable schedule after that because i think state and arkansas are just gonna be in tough spots this year Ole miss i have no idea what to make but like there's a scenario where alabama lsu was undefeated versus undefeated like one versus two again like old time's sake and that is fascinating because then all of a sudden like even if you lose you're probably still getting the playoff and there's so many layers here where it's like that florida state game is so important because it will tell you one how good we think this team is but also it sets you up to yep. To really have a roadmap, but also I'm with you. Like, are they at the point they know how to just not have those outliers? That's the number one question of the season. Well, I, I, it's already you've already been very gracious with your time, so I won't. Uh, I enjoy this. Uh, spe- special teams. How concerned are you? Uh, does that matter in terms of yeah. wins and losses? Or? I'm a, I'm a. Such teams always matters. I mean, that's I, I'm a deep believer in that. That's the margins. Uh, it's not going to be great. I think it's going to be better than last year. I think that's the best way to put it. Like, you know, return was such like, I mean, I think there were six muffed punts and kickoffs last year and blocked field goals. And like, it was such a mess. You bring in Aaron Anderson to be your your return specialist. And like he, if he's healthy, could be special there. And, you know, I do think year two, they're going to be better at not having those just stupid bonehead mistakes. So yeah, like, I don't think it's going to be a hundredth again. Let's put it that way, but it's 40th and that's enough. Well, uh, everybody out there pay for good journalism. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to the athletic. Of course, check out the pod with David Ubbin on the Andy Staples feed. We do appreciate it, Brody. Thank you so much, man. Thank you for having me, man. Always enjoy this. Appreciate it. (laughs) 
That was Brody Miller of The Athletic, of course, hosts a pod with David Ubbin, uh, I believe on the Andy Staples feed, of course, covers LSU for uh, The Athletic and gets to go to the Masters and cover the Masters this year for the first time. What an asshole. So uh, we do appreciate Brody's time on the show today. Uh, he's one of my favorites. Um, so a lot of stuff here, uh, and he kind of agreed with me, and I didn't I didn't mean to like you know, set him up to agree with me all the time, but he was, I asked him, do you think this is the most complete offense in the sec? Um, he said, yes, not the best offense, but yes. So we can get into that. Brian Kelly, of course, I think Aaron, this is where we start Brian Kelly. And I know we, we on this show, I feel like we're much higher on LSU last year than anybody else. I thought, I don't know if you agree with that, but I, I think, I think we were higher with questions still, but higher. Like, I think that the, the, I believe my talking point <laughs> uh, last year was I think LSU is going to be much better, much faster than anyone realizes. I you said know, that they're going to be they're going to reach this plateau real fast and then they're going to stay there for a while. The question is, and, and and we can get into the schedule, we can get into some of the returning starters here. Um, they are one of only two teams to have a returning quarterback and coordinator. Um, and, and Brody kind of put to rest the idea that Garrett Nussmeyer is in an actual quarterback battle with Jaden Daniels. He is not. But the idea, we can start with Brian Kelly, which is that this whole nonsense about fit and culture and the weird, you know, accent he was using, like all of that stuff was so much garbage. Like if you're a good coach, you're a fit. Yeah. And Brian Kelly's been a great coach everywhere he's ever been. And sure enough, they win a division in his first year. And guess what we're not talking about right now with LSU? What? Brian Kelly's fit. Come on. Come on, Aaron. Oh, Set you up, set well, you up for that one. Uh, no, I, I didn't. I felt like we had already gone there. Um, the I, well, I did not have a problem with any of the weird stuff that happened. I mean, yeah, I thought it was weird that he pronounced that word the way that he did. But um I believe Braden, that should have been an accumulative. We said that LSU were going to be faster, better, okay. faster, but yeah. it's okay. I can live without the credit. It's well, not a big I, deal. Well, I said Whatever. we on the show were. I can't, I can't better. fight with you. It's only, it's too early in the week. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, part of that reasoning was just LSU has pretty much always has in place what they would need to be great. It's been the harnessing of talent. That's something we've both said over and over. It's making sure that um, is trying to get what they have and make it work together and the trickle down from the top problem when that doesn't happen from administration to coaching, coaching to players, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Brian Kelly, unsurprisingly, was able to, to take a team that was already riddled with talent, organize it better. And also the reason he moved to LSU in the first place is probably the potential to win. And if you can recruit and play at an elite level at a school like Notre Dame, which does support their football program, but also does have pretty stifling academic standards, then when you get to a place like LSU and you're not really limited by some of those same stipulations, you can kind of just show off show out which did is kind of what's doing did you just call all of lsu's players dumb is that what you just did um i did not vandy grad I, with your vandy degree i'm just saying i would have loved to have been good at football but some of the <laughs> rules in place at vandy kind of no, no, no. back a little bit and and, and the, frankly the geography of notre dame just being where it is it's harder to get players from the south to go up there um and no and, and yeah i mean I, I agree with everything you just said uh texas a&m number one in the sec with 15 returning starters Kentucky and Missouri are tied for second with 14. 
Number four in the league, LSU, 13 returning starters. They are number two in the SEC. We were talking about Bill Connolly's metrics earlier in the show. They are number two in the SEC in returning defensive production, 10th in the country at over 81%. They are fifth in the SEC in returning offensive production, 71%. Aren't they also, oh, okay. I thought I also had 81% down for offensive returning productivity. 32nd in the nation on offense, 10th in the nation on defense, both top five. Um, they returned their quarterback, their offensive coordinator, they turned their entire coach, most of their entire coaching staff. They went into the portal last year, and, and Brody and I touched on this. They got 16 players in the portal last year. They got 12 this year, so they're he's he's sort of fixing the holes while also landing a top 10 class. Um, 10 of those portal players this year are going to play on defense. The secondary is, and these are some of the things that we didn't talk about with Brody. I two two major points I would like to make about LSU, and then we can get into the schedule and actually talk about where we think they're located. Um, number one, they ran the football better last year in Brian Kelly's first season, like leaps and bounds. Some of that was Jaden Daniels, obviously leading the team in every category. But here are the numbers the two years prior. 121 yards per game, 12th in the SEC, 109th in the nation. The last uh, 2021... <laughs> Uh, 114 yards per game, 13th in the SEC, 114th in the nation. So one of the worst rushing teams in the SEC and in the country the two years prior to Brian Kelly's arrival. Last year, 183 yards on the ground, top 40 in America. So he fixes that in one year. Which tells you that there already that it was uh, potentially serious issues with the playbook or organization. And they had a ton of young offensive linemen last year. Now they're all going to be returning starters, five of them, I believe, which yeah. is always a good thing. Yep. Uh, the is. second, the secondary is a major question. I think that's the only real question on the team. And I don't love that they're going to play Jordan Travis in Florida State in week one, Will Rogers on the road in week three, KJ Jefferson in week four, and then you're going to have to face Lane Kiffin in week five. I think that is interesting. From a matchup standpoint, if I'm an LSU fan, you mean from like the defensive back perspective, right? Like if you're breaking in an entirely new secondary and that's your major question mark on your entire roster, you don't want to be playing like three of the best 10 quarterbacks in America and Lane Kiffin in the first month of the season. That that is should I be worried about that or are they just going to like cruise through the first half of the season? I mean, I, I don't think I don't think cruise isn't necessarily the right word i do think that things don't have to things don't have to gel in that particular position like obviously everything works together on in, in every aspect of the game but it's not it's not the same as having a bunch of inexperience on either side of the line like offensive line or right. defensive line because you can still have some of those skill, like speed skill agility on an individual level from like a defensive back safety like perspective can still help you even if things aren't gelling together. So I think it's a better place to be than having serious issues on the line, but it doesn't mean that any of those matchups are going to be easy when you have that experience of quarterback talent on the other side of the ball. I The question I have, and I asked Brody this, are, are they closer to Georgia and Alabama or are they closer to the rest of the pack? Like, and I don't know. You got to pick a team in the rest of the pack, like closer to Tennessee. I I think you probably pick the right one. I think if I'm saying rest of the pack, it probably starts with Tennessee, Ole Miss, A&M, Arkansas, Kentucky, 
maybe. Sorry, South South Carolina. <laughs> I think they're closer to Tennessee than Bama and Georgia. Oh. But closer to Bama and Georgia than they are to Ole Miss. So you so that's more of a statement about Tennessee than in your mind. Kind of. It, it's kind of like there's like a top tier, then I'd say I think I think LSU is is right in the top of that like in that third spot and like Tennessee might be kind of flirting with the the top four but like there's a pretty big gap to me between LSU and Ole Miss and there's still a big gap to me between LSU and Georgia and Alabama but I do think it yeah okay. it might be more of a t- t- testament to Tennessee than anything um so so the FPI has LSU at four Georgia at three Alabama at two so the FPI take it for what it's worth again it is what it is. Has them basically dead even as the second, third, and fourth best teams in college football. I can tell you right now, I think LSU and Florida State, which will play in week one, are are probably going to be six and seven in the Athlon Sports preseason top 25, seven and eight in the preseason top 25. I think in the AP poll, they're both preseason top 10 teams. I do not think Tennessee is a preseason top 10 team, maybe top 15 at best. Mm-hmm. So I think if you really believe in Tennessee, then I think you're right. Tennessee and LSU are closer. I think that it will change over the course of the season. I think if we're talking about week oh, one, yeah. Yeah. I I think if we're halfway into the season, I don't think LSU is going, definitely not going to go backwards and then we'll go f- forwards quickly. Um, so I think we're talking midseason. I would, by the time week five, six rolls around, they're closer to Bama and Georgia, no doubt to me. If if they beat Florida State, because I think they're ten and two, and they lose to Florida State and Alabama, that would be my official like yeah, in I the middle that's... of April, just random prediction for them is ten and two. They're not going to beat Bama on the road in a revenge spot. And maybe maybe we're wrong. Maybe we're just underestimating how good LSU could be, which is possible. But they're going to play Florida State in Orlando Week One. Florida State beat them last year on the last second play, two point conversion. Florida State is extremely good on offense. Uh, quarterback, receivers, running back. They are very talented. They got a lot of dudes back. They are going to sling it all over the yard on LSU, and it's going to be on to LSU's defensive front to play in that game. That could be a playoff game in week one. And I trust Brian Kelly to have them ready, but this schedule is so filled with like landmines. Yeah. But, but all very winnable landmines. Does that make sense? Like at Mississippi State, at Ole Miss, at Missouri. All three of those games are good quality opponents on the road. You could lose to any of those teams, and it would not be a crazy thing. Right. But if you're going to win the division, those are three games you win fairly easily, right? Right. What are they then? (laughs) They are so interesting to me. Uh, I think think the conversation next year will be extremely different with a lot less question marks. (laughs) But I, I... I think they're heading that direction, and I don't think it'll be longer than week five, six, until we know what LSU is going to be on a much longer-term basis. And I think that is – I think they will end up expanding that top tier of the SEC, which at most in the past several years has been three teams with, like, that Alabama-Georgia and arguably at some point over the course of the last four or five years, Texas A&M. But – it was it shrunk back down to only being two up there, and I think LSU will expand that top tier back to three. 
Well, and, and frankly, it was LSU 2019 national champs. I mean, was. It, was, it was LSU that was up there. Um, they just have like even the Auburn game and then Army, which is a team you never want to play because they're going to run the option. And it's just a, it's a weird game. Like they're not going to lose it, but it's a weird game. And then you have the bye week. They do get Florida and Texas A&M at home at the end of the year in the SEC, which is interesting. I just think the schedule is full of like if they are not elite, they could lose four or five times. But if they are elite, almost all these games, they will be a heavy favorite in except Florida State and Alabama. And much like Bama last year, 10 and two with their only two losses being two very good teams, right? Tennessee and LSU last year on the road. Mm -hmm. That could be what LSU looks like this year. Alabama of last year, ironically. Because Florida State, is that is a big-time game in week one. That is a national championship, college football playoff type game in week one. Yeah, you're right. And I think the experience that they have actually returning, not only with Jaden Daniels, but all the positions and players and uh, efficiency that they have coming back um, will allow them to act like they've been places, quote-unquote, <laughs> Um, I mean, they although, played. In, they played in Atlanta last year, so they don't have to act like they've been there. They already been there. You know. No, I mean, this this is true. But I think even though, I mean, you've got you've got some new guys coming in that we just you know referenced in terms of defensive back. But overall, this is a veteran team, and I expect yep. them to play like one. It, who? Kirby Smart, Nick Saban are the best two coaches in the conference. Who's number three? Ooh. I mean. <laughs> If the season goes like it's we're talking about, it's uh, then Brian Kelly's up there. But uh, Hypo, I mean, I mean I, Brian Kelly, it's got to be Brian Kelly. I don't so they, think there's I think there's a very clear delineation. I think Kirby Smart and Nick Saban obviously have proved that. And that's the, their thing. And they've been doing it in the SEC, the hardest conference in the country for a long time. But you have you have it has to be Brian Kelly. And then there's some other ones that are very, very good coaches on the rise, but no one that's doing what he's doing as quickly as he's doing it. So they have maybe the top challenger as the head coach to Georgia and Alabama. They probably have one of the best rosters to challenge Alabama. They have the most complete offense, as Brody and I talked about. They may not be the best offense, but they have their quarterback back, all five starters along the offensive line, star weapons at wide receiver, their coordinator is back as well. Like they've got a good backup quarterback. They've got one of the best front sevens you're ever going to find in college football with Harold Perkins and Mason Smith as, as a defensive lineman linebacker combination that 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 is Will Anderson. Harold Perkins is Will Anderson now. He's you know whatever Jordan Davis, Nolan Smith. Like they are the that that front seven for LSU has like elite NFL talent on it. They like Chris Hilton, like Brian Thomas, like all of those guys on like as receivers. Um, they also have a bunch of freshmen that I think will continue to prove themselves and be good, like signees, but they do have some experience in that position as well. Um, stable running back situation. Um, yeah. LSU didn't have a problem with running backs normally. Yeah. So it's, you know, it, it's, I, it is pretty complete through and through. It's just honing that in and making it all gel together. And it already is. So, so I'll go back to the 10 and two thing. I think Jordan Travis and Florida state's weapons, Take advantage of LSU's inexperience in the secondary in week one. And if they don't lose again until Alabama, they can beat team they can, and they hold up against Mississippi State on the road, tricky game. Arkansas at Ole Miss, tricky game. At Missouri, tricky game. Auburn, always a big game. They they could easily be a one loss team ranked in the top, whatever, 
six, seven, eight, going to Tuscaloosa with the entire conference championship or division championship hanging in the balance. And then they get three straight home games to end the season after that with, with Florida yeah. and Georgia state and AM. and could be tricky because it, it causes them problems from time to time, but as hard as their schedule is and filled with landmines, like you're saying, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but it, they do have some of those games that they have to play away. It could be worse. It could be worse than Ole Miss. It could be worse than Mississippi State. It could absolutely be worse than Missouri. So they are getting some of those big-time games, not saying those are winnable by any, not saying that those are definite wins by any stretch of the imagination, but they are not the hardest places in the nation to play. Thankfully for them, they play at home in one of the hardest places in the nation for other people to play, but they get some of those teams that are a little bit harder in terms of away atmospheres than you know, they get those teams at home. Yeah. And like, I'm not worried about the Mississippi schools other than the fact that they have really good offenses, a really good quarterback and they're early in the season on the road. And so that's kind of a weird thing, but they play Missouri and Florida and crossover and Missouri and Florida and crossover are two of the bottom three teams probably in the East. So you're not playing the top two or three or four teams in the East. That being said, if you are not ready for championship football, a road trip to Missouri could be tricky. Very good defensive team. You and I have talked about how much we kind of like Missouri this year to be much better. That that Missouri road trip is a very tough game for teams like, no disrespect, South Carolina. They have not been able to beat Missouri. They cannot Damn beat Missouri. It. So, But put everybody in that mix. Florida, Arkansas, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina. At Missouri is a tough game for teams in the middle. If you expect to compete for a playoff spot, at Missouri is not a tough game, right? That's what right. I'm trying to. That's what I'm trying. It's, it's like, like it's a tough can't game. Stop! You can't. South, South Carolina can't beat Missouri. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm. I have to quit. It's just too much to take. Yeah, There's no way we can keep this up. We only have 14 teams to talk he's about. He's doing here. it on he's doing it on purpose, guys. Okay, <laughs> what what else we need to do, Braden? Nothing really. I just I, I'm trying to explain in my own head, talking through what tough games are for certain teams and tough games are for other teams. And I don't know which category LSU really falls into yet is what I'm trying to get at. Like if they are national championship, good, and they are number six in the preseason, good. And they are challenging Alabama for a second straight year. Good. Then these games won't be that hard. They'll be a heavy favorite and they'll win them. Right. But, but, But for almost everyone else in this conference, Going to Mississippi State, hosting Arkansas, going to Ole Miss, hosting Missouri, that's a tricky schedule that you could lose a couple games in. Yeah. I, I and those those games that were that were referencing the Missouri, lots of M's, Missouri, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, those games in my mind, even though there is like a lot of experience at quarterback, um, and well, in Missouri has like an outstanding defense for the most part. Um, I, I still think that would be LSU in at least two of those three games beating themselves if they were even to come close yeah, to losing that's, that's like the point. younger guys, like DBs blowing coverage, like just not being there where you're supposed to be not reading, uh, you know, the inexperience causing them not to read the play correctly. I, I don't think that they're going to get destroyed. I think if they even come close to losing, it is inexperience and just missing the mark. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. LSU is, they, they are playoff caliber. Good. If they beat Florida state. Because if they beat we'll Florida, early. if they beat Florida State and Jordan Travis and that offense can't move the ball in the air, then nobody else is going to be able to do it against mm-hmm. LSU. So it, it, they are they are super interesting. And That'll it's be a great game. 
Because of Brian Kelly, folks. Because of Brian Kelly. Um, wow. All right. No one cares how he talks now. Go Cox. Go Cox. I mean, go this Cox, is. Go Cox, I go am. Cox. I'm. I'm pulling. I am going to keep continue to say this. This is literally an emotionally abusive relationship between you and this team and this fan base. Like you are. Go Cox. You are the toxic boyfriend to South Carolina. Stop it. Stop you are. Well, hit me on Twitter, South Carolina. Late at night. I'll be up. All right. That about does it. Aaron, always a pleasure hanging out with you. Go Cox. Go Cox. You can okay. get to me at Braden Gall. Where can people find you, Aaron? Um, the Aaron Dugan on Twitter and Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram. If anyone needs a therapist, I have several good recommendations talking to South Carolina fans. If you feel like you're being, um, gaslit on the reg, I feel like I could use a therapist because of this. I know you could use a therapist. Hey, I go to therapy regularly and I'm fine to admit it. So there you go. Go Cox. I do do too. I'm about to go Go right now because I always schedule it after this show. See ya. (laughs) Such an asshole. For Aaron, I'm Braden. Thanks to Brody Miller for joining us as well. This has been Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. Go Cox. Peace.